0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Very glad you're here. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you please say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our reading is number 599 in our gray hymnal. It is a Sikh reading by Teg Bahadur. Why do you go to the forest in search of the divine, God lives in all and abides with you too. As fragrance dwells in a flower or reflection in a mirror, so the divine dwells inside everything. Seek, therefore, in your own heart. We come together for worship on Sunday mornings. And we have our roots in many different traditions. Some have their roots in the Jewish tradition, some in the Christian tradition, some in the Buddhist tradition, and, in our, and some in the earth-centered tradition, some in the humanist tradition. In our worship, we draw from all of these sources, and yet we are all Unitarian Universalists. One of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission, which we say together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. I'm in the middle of a sermon series on the Buddhist Eightfold Path. This is not a path where you do one step and then the next step and then the next step. It's a path where all the steps kind of intertwine in a woven braid of um, the path. So you're... Trying them all at once, basically, when you're doing the Eightfold Path. And the element of the Eightfold Path that I want to talk about this morning is right livelihood. The Eightfold Path is a, is a way to escape suffering. It is a way to have a good life. It is a way to have a peaceful life. And some people would say a happy life, although others would say that happiness is not something that you can pursue on its own. It's a byproduct of living in a correct manner. So when um, Mike LeBurkin read Wendell Berry's poem, if we have the wisdom to survive, to stand like slow growing trees on a ruined place, renewing, enriching it, asking not too much of earth or heaven, I think this is a wonderful description of right livelihood in the Buddhist way of thinking. I I heard a man at a hospital. I love having, I love overhearing conversations. And in the hospital, people are um, in a particular kind of situation where much of what is unimportant is stripped away and often suddenly stripped away. And so people are having conversations with one another and with themselves that they would not ordinarily have on a day-to-day basis. And so on the other side of the curtain where I was sitting with one of my um, parishioners, I heard this man tell his son, he said, I had a wasted life. And I thought, wow, I... I, um, What would make a person say that with such resignation in his voice? It seems that he was feeling like he was running out of road and looking back over his life and not really seeing a chance to do it differently in a more spirited way, in a more meaningful way. And so I, I think about him as I talk about right livelihood because many people, if we had the choice, would not do most of the work we do. I think um, people do work to feed their families and people do work to pay the rent or the mortgage and take care of the children, buy the diapers, fix the meals. Buy socks, medicine, gasoline, and it's a it's a sacrifice, and that's not bad it's just a situation that most people are in that work is is the is spending the coin of your life's time. you have a certain amount of time, you don't know how much it is it's not like your bank account that you can see the miserable, pathetic number that's right there, um, you just don't know how much coin of your time you have, and yet you pay it out, you dole it out on a daily basis um, if you're a working person, and you hope that what you're going to get back is um, what you need to take care of yourself and your family, to do some good in the world, have some fun. working for pay is is only part of a balanced work life because we work at home too, either for years at a time or for hours at a time in every day, um, taking care of our home or our kids or caring for elderly parents and we work on volunteer projects and we work to make our community a better place to live and our lives are just slowly moment by moment, hour by hour traded or sacrificed and If we do it right, we'll feel like we paid it out for good things that we got back. We got to see our community change. We got to see some souls nourished. We got to see some lives transformed. We got to see um, our family well provided for. We make decisions about whether to buy things or experiences. We make decisions about how much to give away. We hope that at the end, we will not be telling our children that we had a wasted life. And it behooves us to think now, before we're in the hospital, about what an unwasted life would look like. Because there's still time, if that's the feeling that we have. Now, knowing many of you Just scratching the surface of almost any person, you find an amazing human being that has done wonderful things and had great experiences and gone through horrendous sorrows and trials and is walking upright with some kind of a workable stance about living. And I am very impressed by that. And so I imagine that most of you would not have that feeling of having had a wasted life. We want to have a life where our livelihood does not harm other people. We want to have a life where our work is meaningful and that it can become a spiritual path in some way. Because most of us spend more time working than almost anything else except sleeping, and some of you all work more than you sleep. So we pour a lot of our vital energy into it, and it's good to talk about it. What kind of work do you want to do? And most people, when they talk about right livelihood, we talk about the, the principles that guide us as we choose what work to do, and we talk about being clear about why we're doing this work and how we can be there at work in a way that can be a spiritual path. And I put a photograph of a young woman working in a munitions factory on the front of the bulletin because most people who talk about right livelihood, as Buddhists would say, working in an armaments factory is not right livelihood working in a, um, an abattoir for a Buddhist, where animals are slaughtered, is not a right livelihood for a person with those values. Now, if you're a Western person who feels that there are times when war is justified, and if you're a meat-eating person, then those livelihoods might be a right livelihood for you. But um, being an arms dealer, for example, would be harder to defend. For almost any spiritual person, although I've heard someone try to do it, um, that would not be right livelihood. A human trafficker would not be right livelihood. A criminal of any kind, probably not right livelihood. And sometimes you feel like, I wonder whether I'm in right livelihood or not because my job is so boring and it's so meaningless and all I'm doing is restocking shelves or Um, I'm not doing what I want to do with the rest of my life. But right livelihood has even more to do with how you are at work than what work it is you do. And there's a Buddhist teacher named Eric Kolvig that I uh, quote to you all every now and then. And he tells a story about being late for a meeting. And, you know, he's this great Buddhist teacher, but he doesn't treat himself as if he were a guru, which makes me trust him more and he said, I was, I was coming off the highway and I was late for this meeting. I was really stressed. And I drove up to the toll booth. And the woman in the toll booth took my money and gave me the most extraordinary smile. I felt that I had been seen by the Dalai Lama himself. She was so present. And she was giving to everyone she met that day, which was hundreds of people a beautiful smile because she could and it didn't cost her anything and this was her ministry in a way. This was her right livelihood to touch this many people in a day and just give them a little tiny spark of joy and good medicine. And she had one of the jobs that we would think of as the most boring job in the entire universe. Although I don't want you to lose the rest of the sermon by just thinking what would be a more boring job. Because that would be that would be me. That's how I would do it. That would be like Shepherd in the Andes. At least there would be beauty and no fumes. He said this woman was obviously a bodhisattva, which means a person who has achieved some kind of enlightenment but has chosen to stay here among us um, unenlightened ones in order to spread the delight. So, you have to work for money, which most of us do. The question is, how much money do I need? And this is not a very Western question to ask. We normally um, just want as much money as we can get. And um, I have a a friend who has a a, a physician practice and and, um, another friend who has a veterinary practice. And they have the luxury of running their own practice, which not many people do. And they can decide, do I want to work every single day or do I want to work mornings? Do I want to come in at 11 and stay till 6? How do I want to do it and how much money do I need? And that is a wonderful question to ask yourself if it pertains to your life at all. And some people have just decided they don't need that much money. And they you know, will live in a van and drive around the country and talk to people and uh, I cannot live like that. I need a lot of things. I need air conditioning for one. And, and a comfortable bed, and I need health insurance. And so that steers my life choices in certain ways. I want those for my children, too, but they have decided to be a singer-songwriter. No offense. The other one's going to be a doctor, so he should be okay. I worry about them. So, maybe you work not for money, but out of a sense of responsibility. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, (laughs) what's enough responsibility to take for this world? I was at a meeting here the other night where someone said, I am responsible for the whole world and it is my worrying that keeps it from going to pieces. And so I just thanked her because I didn't know that that's what was doing it. In my family, I grew up Presbyterian And uh, I'm a firstborn and a Virgo. So, you know, everything is my responsibility. There's no end. And I come from a family of uh, responsible people, people who quoted the Bible verse all the time that said, um, of those to whom much has been given, much will be required. Man, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. So... And my grandfather, who was a traveling um, preacher and a writer and a radio evangelist, um, (sighs) he spent his whole life talking to people about the Lord and the Bible, and at his deathbed, he said, have I done enough? Enough. If he hadn't done enough, there's no hope for anybody. And this is the kind of family that I grew up in, so I don't want to end up like that. And so I work on relaxing. (laughs) Yeah, you heard me. I have to work on relaxing. That's all right, though. Right livelihood means making time for our families and for our bodies and for rest and for work and for play and all of that for reflection it's a balance, and so um, one of the things that the that the teachers talk about when you study right livelihood is not only just what kind of workplace you're in, but is it a is it a harmonious workplace it is it toxic with disharmony? Are there always people trying to Uh, Are they out to get you? Are they trying to make you feel small and miserable? Are they trying to uplift you? Or are they just trying to survive themselves? And most jobs that we have encourage overwork. That's just our culture. And Thomas Merton, who is a writer and a Trappist monk from Louisville, says the rush and pressure of modern life are a form of innate violence and to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone and everything, is to succumb to violence. Boy, that was a new thought for me. But it does kind of feel sometimes like you've been beaten up when you go through a day like that, left by the side of the road, gasping. So, overworking is not just having violence done to you. It's violence you do to yourself. It's, it's collaboration with violence. It's cooperation with violence. And so we have to think about how do, we, how do we be an activist without being in a frenzy? How do we work without overworking? How do we volunteer without destroying our inner capacity for peace? And I think we all know what it's like to get so caught up in outrage, which is justified, that we lose our capacity for inner peace. And then we become that kind of peace activist that is always at war with those people who just don't get it. They don't get it. I gotta shake them till they get it. So it's important to ask, how much do I need? How much time with my partner do I need? How much time with my children do I need? What do they need? How much time with my body do I need? How much rest time do I need? Can I live with less of this and more of this? Thoreau uh, says, I have to ask myself always, how much of my life do I want to pay to have that thing? And you know his answer, really none. He did not have anything if you've been to his cabin. But that's okay because he used all of Emerson's things. <laughs> this is the part they don't tell you. Right Livelihood asks us to love the world through our work to be slow-growing trees in a ruined place, nurturing the ground, giving back to a ruined earth so that after we die, the earth will be better. We may not see it, but if we're slow-growing trees in a ruined place, we ask not too much of earth or heaven or ourselves, or our families. And we think about the lives that our lives prepare. Let's consider how to use our work as a daily opportunity to put our values into action. Whether it's work for pay, or whether it's work at home, or whether it's volunteer work, most of us are working with our days. How do we bring intention to our work how do we work together with the people we are working with in a friendly and kind way how do we nourish their souls our our mission is to nourish souls and transform lives and do justice maybe if not every day then at least every sunday we can come to church with the intention of nourishing someone else's soul today i'm going to nourish somebody's soul today how am i going to do it it'd be fun to think about how am I going to nourish somebody's soul at work through my work or my coworkers? How am I going to treat people fairly and pleasantly even when I'm tired and my feet hurt? How am I going to bring in the best in my coworkers? How am I going to rein in my ego? How am I not going to take over this meeting and talk too much? How am I going to be the person that I would like to become? How can I create more freedom and harmony? I wonder a worthy experiment. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.